purely righteous and do not make yourselves too wise why should you destroy yourself be not overly wicked neither be a fool why should you die before your time it's good that you should take hold of this and from that withhold not your hand for on one who fears god shall come out from the both of them wisdom gives strength to the wise man uh, more than 10 rulers who are in the city surely there is not a righteous man on a earth who does good and never sins do not take to heart all these things that people say let your let you hear your servant cursing you your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others all these i have tested by wisdom i said i will be wise but it was far from me that which i have been in far off and deep very deep who can find it out i turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the schemes of things uh, and to know the wickedness of folly and foolishness that is madness and i find something more bitter than death and the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hand are fetter he who pleases the god escapes her but the sinner is taken by her behold this is what i found say that preacher while adding one thing to other to find the schemes of things which my soul has sought repeatedly but i have not found home man among the thousands are found but a woman among all these i have not found see this alone i found that god made man upright but they have sought out many schemes we pray gracious heavenly father thank you for us given us opportunity in this morning to listen to your word a lot lord in this morning i pray about raven the lord thank you for the wisdom you have given to him lord as speaking uh, with us a lord uh, let the not evil thoughts dominates he is while he is speaking a lot lord as we are listening to you allow prepare our hearts a lot so that we will not be deviate from uh, what you are speaking to us a lot and uh, speak to us so that we can carry throughout our life and implement in our life a lot i pray in the name of jesus christ amen good morning golbert can you hear me yeah chali all right so uh as is clear from the reading by the way thank you santosh for reading that passage for us it's ecclesiastes chapter 7 verses 15 through 29 so that's the portion for our sermon this morning there was a pastor and a theologian by the name of james montgomery boyce some of you may have heard of him and uh, he had been before he died he had been diagnosed with a severe form of cancer and with only a few weeks to live he had one last occasion to speak to his congregation and he stood on the pulpit and he said this if god does something in your life would you change it if god does something in your life would you change it and then he went on to answer his own question by saying that if we tried to change anything that god had done things wouldn't be as good 
And in the end, we would only make things worse. Did you hear that? In the end, we would only make things worse. So here's a man who had gone through tremendous hardship in terms of pain in his own body. And yet he seems to be standing with a rejoicing confidence in the fact that God is absolutely sovereign and is completely in control of everything. Remember in our study of the previous passage, we saw Solomon in verse 13 saying this, the same chapter, uh, chapter verse 13. Look at that, please. He says, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Who can make straight what he has made crooked? So God has made some things crooked in this world. And Solomon has talked about that. And Solomon has also said that when we try to understand why God has made certain things crooked in this world, we really can't understand it. And not just that, when we try to straighten out the things that God has made crooked, we can't do it. The effort goes in vain. And so Solomon has also displayed to us that we ought not to ever take comfort in our circumstances. Instead, we must take comfort in God, who alone is faithful and good, even if we don't understand all his ways, and even if we are still in pain. And so we see over and over again, through our experiences, and also through the book of Ecclesiastes, that we humans want to find comfort. We want to find our satisfaction. We want to find life in things around us. And when we don't, our world falls apart. But instead of realizing that this world doesn't satisfy, what many of us tend to do is try harder to, bro- to put this broken world around us back together again. And then we realize that we can't do it, and we become angry. And sometimes we become angry at God as well. So the questions come up in our minds. How can I trust God when there is something crooked in my lot that he himself has put Or in other words, how can I trust God when there is so much of evil and pain in this world? Now, this is where Solomon is going with the rest of the chapter that we're going to look at now. That is verses 15 through 29. And he is still not done in his quest for wisdom. What he does in the following verses that we're going to look at is he is evaluating three things for us about this world that we need to understand so that we could have the right response in the midst of clear depravity that is around us. Three things he's going to evaluate for us, so we can understand certain things about the world, so we could have the right response in the midst of the depravity that we find ourselves in. So Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 15 through 29. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 15 through 29. In verses 15 through 18, you will see that... Righteousness does not guarantee a pain-free life. Righteousness does not guarantee a pain-free life. Leading a morally good life, leading a life with a high moral standards does not protect us from adversity. And Solomon deals with this reality by talking about three facts. And let's go one by one. Firstly, Solomon says, sometimes the good die young and the wicked live long. Look at verse 15. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Now, if you remember, Solomon has been on a great quest. He's been on a personal quest. 
he he has been on a quest where he is trying to find wisdom in many things in this world that is under the sun as he has put it he studied he is evaluated he is tested through a myriad of personal experiences and solomon here is probably saying that in a short lifetime he has seen all that there is to be seen he has evaluated all the basic things of life and he has come to an important conclusion and that conclusion is not a pleasing one and he says that he's only seen trouble in his conclusions the first example is that a righteous man dies in his righteousness but a wicked man lives long now this is one of the most uh, struggling things that you and i have as human beings in our lives when i was a kid i used to think that you know if you did good you'd be paid back in good and if you did if you're a bad kid uh, you would be given the same uh, vein as well so if you did good you would be well if you did bad uh, bad things would happen to you as well and even in my sunday school if i remember i was taught the same thing i was taught that if i was a good kid i would get all the blessings if i was a bad kid i'd be punished most people in this world believe the same thing as well you know that's called the law of retribution the law of retribution says this that when you live a good life you'll be blessed in this lifetime itself and immediately and if you live a bad life you'll be punished by god immediately as well that is a law of retribution and now when we look at things like this that the good people die young and wicked people continue to live on even until an old age we think it's not fair that's not fair it's not fair when serial killers live on for a long uh, for a long life and it's not fair when somebody like a jim elliot dies at a very young age along with his four missionaries especially at the age of 29 it's not fair so solomon here is saying that sometimes the good die young and the wicked live long secondly solomon says the person devoted to righteousness as well as the wicked both perish the person devoted to righteousness as well as the wicked person both of them perish look at verses 16 and 17 be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise why should you destroy yourself be not overly wicked neither be a fool why should you die before your time now this is a very tough verse to interpret in fact this is the toughest passage in the entire book of ecclesiastes to interpret because it is poetic number 1 and you can't be exactly sure what solomon is talking about in some of the verses but we'll do our best to make it as simple as possible but it's a very very powerful and profound message for our day that solomon is giving here what does this verse even mean he's saying do not be overly righteous Now listen to me very carefully please the form of the verb that solomon is using here in this verse may refer to somebody who is pretending to be righteous who is acting to be righteous and he is playing the wise man now look at the verse again he says do not make yourself do not make yourself too wise so there's an emphasis here on yourself and you making yourself wise and this fits the context very well here the word righteous can refer to a righteousness that's based solely on your actions and so solomon is saying that why are you trying so hard to be nicer and nicer to people you work hard and then problems come and your niceness will not save you when problems come and because you are a nice person because you are a good person you're going to look at god and question god as though you deserved everything good in life 
Lord, I've been a nice person. I've been a good person. Why are you sending this adversity into my life? And Solomon is saying, why choose this kind of a self-righteousness? But not just that. On the other hand, Solomon says, don't choose foolishness either. When he talks about being overly foolish, I believe he does not, he's not merely talking about the person who sins once in a while, which everybody does, but he's talking of a person who persists in sinful living. Or he's talking about somebody who's making a living out of clear sinfulness and sinful lifestyles as well. And Solomon is saying that these kind of people who earn a living out of sinful lifestyles, they actually die young. A murderer may die young. An adulterer or a drunkard may die young sometimes. And Solomon says that while morality doesn't bring gain, he also says neither does immorality bring any gain. And thirdly, Solomon comes to his point. He says, live your life in light of God's judgment. Live your life in light of God's judgment. Look at verse 18. It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Solomon concludes his thoughts with an exhortation for us. If neither morality nor immorality is something that we should trust in, then what should we trust in? Essentially, he's telling us to keep our hands on the truths regarding both morality and immorality. Understand the truth about morality that I've just explained to you. Understand the truth about immorality that I've just explained to you. And he says, don't let go of both these truths, lest you either get into self-righteousness or licentiousness. But if we are not to choose either of these routes, either morality or immorality, what are we to choose? And Solomon has the answer here, fear God, fear God. You know, often when we talk about fearing God, people tend to think that God is simply satisfied with our actions. Did you hear that? People often think that God is simply satisfied with our actions, but over and over over again, the Bible tells us that God is looking for our heart first, or a change of heart first. God does not merely want a moral person. He calls us to love and good works. But that love and those good works come from individuals who now have new desires because God has changed their hearts thoroughly from inside out. And Solomon here says, Fear God. That's the only way you're kept from either of the two extremes that Solomon has talked about. When you fear God, you don't go either into pure morality, where you bank on your self-righteousness, or pure immorality as well, where you die young. That means that you understand the power of God, the majesty of God, and you understand his glorious love. And so in the midst of a world where the righteous people die young, And the foolish people live long. God is our only hope. God is our only security. And God is our everything in the midst of this life right now. Morality and immorality can't bring righteousness or justice. And that's why Solomon here says, live your life in light of God's judgment. So in verses 15 through 18, Solomon gave us first point about what we need to understand about this world for us to have the right kind of response where there is so much of rampant evil around us, rampant immorality around us. And the first point that Solomon made was righteousness does not guarantee a pain-free life. It does not guarantee a pain-free life. Solomon here recognized the inadequacy of righteousness to provide protection. 
And the reason is, God does not work according to the law of retribution. God doesn't work according to the law of retribution. Now, I just said we think that good, we think that good people always get good. And bad people always get bad. But God doesn't work on those rules. And since righteousness cannot always protect from adversity, should we be looking to something else is a question that Solomon asks here. And this is what Solomon analyzes in our second point, which is in verses 19 through 24. They say that wisdom is valuable, but does not guarantee a completely pain-free life. Now, notice the difference between point one and point two. In point one, Solomon said, righteousness does not guarantee a pain-free life. But here he's saying, wisdom is valuable. Because when you have wisdom, and we'll look at that, when you have wisdom, you can avoid some kind of pain. But even wisdom, as valuable as it is, does not guarantee a completely pain-free life. Wisdom is helpful, but it does not provide adequate protection against adversity. And Solomon talks about this by explaining three things for us once again. Firstly, he says, wisdom helps guard against adversity. Look at verse 19. Wisdom gives strength to the wise, more than ten rulers who are in a city. Remember, Solomon here is approaching life from the standpoint of being under the sun, which means you lock God out of the system and you're looking at things under the sun where you don't have any divine revelation, where you don't have any intervention from God. You're looking at this from a purely earthly perspective and that kind of a worldview. It is not godly wisdom he is talking about. It is not divine wisdom that he is talking about. Essentially, what he is talking about is common sense. And so Solomon is saying... That when we use common sense, there are certain things that happen. And he explains that in a a simple analogy. Here Solomon is imagining a city governed uh, governed by a council of ten people. Now most cities would be fortunate to have even one wise person governing it. But this particular city uh, has ten wise people governing it. And uh, there are ten people to govern its civic affairs. It's a strong city. It is a well-protected city. And Solomon is saying that a wise person has the strength more than a well-governed city. Why? What is the strength that wisdom gives to a person that is more than a well-governed city of ten rulers? Let me give you a few examples. Wisdom governs our thoughts. So the wise person knows how to think about things in the right way. Wisdom governs the will as well. So the wise person knows what choices to make in life. Wisdom governs our speech. So the wise person knows what to say and when to say things. And wisdom governs our actions as well. So the wise person knows what to do in every, any and every situation. And so Solomon says, wisdom helps us guard against adversity. Secondly, I'm sorry, I missed, the, I missed clicking on the first point. Now it's the second one. Wisdom is necessary because no one is truly righteous. Look at verses 20 to 22. It's a little funny here. Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. What is Solomon saying here? Solomon is saying that the human potential for wisdom is limited. And the human potential for righteousness is also limited. Did you hear that? The human potential for wisdom is limited, and the human potential for righteousness is limited as well. And therefore, the quest for perfection in life 
is futile in this fallen world and even the most energetic and valiant efforts in righteousness will always be mixed with evil. It will always be mixed with evil. And Solomon here seems to have been stunned by the fact that there's not a single perfect person on on this earth. And in our fallen estate, our entire will is oriented against God. We are bent on our own ways of evil from our first breath. And the only hope for any of us seated here, or even the world outside, is that God takes that initiative to make a radical change from inside out. Inside out. That's the key here. Most people, even Christians, think that ethical behavior is righteousness. Now hear me please. Most people, even Christians, think that ethical behavior is righteousness. And I want to say this morning, it's not. That's not what righteousness is. We think we are righteous because what we do or what we don't do. We think in terms of conduct and behavior. That's just morality. That's plain morality. And that's not the Christian faith. I can do the right thing for the wrong reason. My actions may be right, but my motive may be wrong. And although I've done the right thing, but with the wrong motive, I'm still wrong. Solomon's example here is that when you hear somebody talking about you in secret, when you hear somebody speaking behind your back, what are you to do? What are you you and I supposed to do? I know what people are tempted to do. I'm on social media. I know what happens usually on Facebook. This is what I've seen as even grown adults posting on social media. I'm unfriending you. You know who you are. Have you seen that? There's another person who wrote this. Today I'm really hurt because a friend of mine has hurt me real bad. But I'm bigger than that. I will not let them bring me down. I'm unfriending the negative influence. And others will get hurt. They'll talk about how angry they were and what that person did to them. There are many ways to respond to this. But you know what Solomon is saying here? Solomon is saying the right response to it is this. Don't take it to heart. If somebody is talking about you, somebody is talking behind your back, don't take it to heart. Really? Should I not take it to heart when I hear somebody talking behind my back, talking negative about me? He says, yes, don't. And why? The reason is, Solomon says, you've done the same things as well. I've done the same things as well. The only difference is that you and I didn't get caught. Pascal says, in fact, he darkly observed this. If all men knew what each said of the other, they would not be four friends in this world. (laughs) Right, Liju? They would not be four friends in this world. So wisdom is necessary because no one is truly righteous. Thirdly, Solomon says, wisdom is not completely reliable shield against adversity. Look at verses 23 and 24. All this I've tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been far off and deep, very deep, who can find it out? Here Solomon discovered that he couldn't discover. He couldn't discover more than the human potential. Though he sought after wisdom with all diligence, true wisdom, he said, was far beyond him. Wisdom has its limitations. Human wisdom has its limitations. And even Solomon, with all of his wisdom, in fact, we know from the Bible that he is a man who has the greatest wisdom in all of the world. 
There's nobody who was born like Solomon with as much wisdom. And even with so much wisdom, he could not ward off all adversity from his life. And he did not have sufficient wisdom to do this. And none of us seated here should think that we have it either. And just as there's so much out there, and I can't figure it all out, there's also so much sinfulness in humanity. And one can easily look at the world and think it's easy to give up. And at this point, there are two main choices. And listen to me very carefully, please. One choice by looking at the world is to completely give up and give in to despair. But Solomon doesn't do that, and neither should we. But the second choice here, or the best alternative, is to admit that we as sinners don't have all the answers about the world, but we also believe that God does have all the answers. And then we wait for whatever wisdom he gives us to navigate through this world. This is the way of humility and faith. When we try hard to understand, to try and find the meaning of this life, we should be content to confess the fact that we have certain limitations in understanding and we can't understand all of what God has put into this world. Knowing the limits of wisdom is also wisdom. Knowing the limits of wisdom is also wisdom and that is true of theology as well. A good theologian, when he doesn't understand something, will say, I don't know. And we ought to have the humility to say that as well. The more we know, the more we should realize how little we know And that whatever wisdom we have gained is a gift from God himself. So, so far we've learned two things from Solomon. Righteousness does not guarantee a pain-free life. He also said that wisdom is valuable, but does not guarantee a completely pain-free life. Then there's a third truth we need to understand about the world. So we could have the right response, especially in light of all the depravity that we see around us. And that is in verses 25 uh, through 29. They say that true wisdom and true righteousness are impossible for men to attain. True wisdom and true righteousness are impossible for men to attain. There is a limit to human wisdom. There is a limit to human righteousness. And I want to tell you, both of them do not satisfy the heart. Both of them do not give life any meaning. So Solomon explains this by talking about three things again. And let's go one by one. Firstly, he says, folly is a fate that is worse than death. Look at verses 25 and 26. I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who uh, pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. So if somebody is going to still persist in trying to find meaning and life and hope under the sun that is in this world, just so you know, Solomon is saying that sin is everywhere and you cannot stop it. In a world where we want all the answers and we want to understand everything, Solomon says that sin is something that we can't completely figure out. You know, I often say, uh, when we teach the doctrine of sin, I often say that God in his mercy has not made us understand the entirety and the enormity of our sin. If he really understood that, we would not exist. But in his grace, he has given us enough knowledge of sin for us to be repelled by it and repent of it and trust in him. And Solomon is here saying almost the same thing. He's saying that sin is so enormous that we can't understand all of it as well. 
And that should make sense to us. Because he is saying that sin is foolishness. And sin is madness. So if sin is foolishness and sin is madness, if you and I can make sense of it, then what does that say about you and me? At least it says about me that I'm crazy. Because I'm able to understand sin that is foolishness. Or sin that is madness. But what many people do in trying to help people to stop sinning or to help them to stop making unwise judgments, what they do is they try to figure out all the reasons why a person sins. Now, don't get me wrong here. There are many things in life that can open doors to various types of sins. And it may be worthwhile to address them, and we do that from time to time. However, here is something that you and I are going to have to come to grips with. In the end, you and I sin because ultimately we are sinners. You and I sin because we are sinners. And being a sinner is being completely foolish. And Solomon is saying with all of Solomon's searchings, he couldn't give all the answers to satiate his understanding, and neither can you or I standing up here. Now you can say this, I know why I pursue this sin or that, that sin, but Why do you do it if you know it's wrong? You've done something utterly foolish. It's deep. You and I can't figure it out. And then Solomon here gives an illustration. And listen to this very carefully, please. He uses a word picture with a woman. He says, her heart is snares and nets. Her hands are fetters. Now, he's not talking about a real woman here, but he's uh, picturizing uh, folly or foolishness as a woman. And he is saying that her heart is snares and nets, her, heart, uh, her hands are fetters. Please understand at least two things here about this particular imagery that Solomon is drawing here. First, Solomon is personifying foolishness. He is saying that foolishness is drawing people into idiocy, into committing foolish things, just like a woman draws a man into an illicit relationship. Secondly, he says, this leads me... Uh, uh, secondly, he says... Why are people who follow lady, uh, who are the people who follow Lady Folly? And he describes Folly as a woman. So, who are the people who follow Lady Folly? And the answer that Solomon gives is sinners. Only sinners follow Lady Folly. And at that moment, some people could say, I'm exempt from that. But Solomon here just said that even the wisest person sins as well. And so, none of us is exempt from that. But he also says this. He who pleases God escapes her. He who pleases God escapes her. So if you and I want to escape sin, we ought to be people who are pleasing God in all that we do. Secondly, Solomon says, people who escape folly are very rare. People who escape folly are very rare. Look at verses 27 and 28. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher. While adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all those I have not found. Now, this verse could be misinterpreted, misunderstood, but let me explain to you what Solomon is saying here. Solomon says that while he is still evaluating sinners and why they do what they do, he says... One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among these I have not found. Is Solomon saying that women are worse sinners than men? I don't think so. There could be several different ways in which this particular verse could be interpreted. And I'm going to present one option. Solomon here, according to the Bible, 
had 1,000 women in his life, right? 700 wives and 300 concubines. And the Bible tells us that these women in his life drew his heart away from the Lord. Were they wise? Apparently not. Because Solomon has said that whoever sins is a fool. But what about this one man in a thousand? Solomon is saying here that the odds with men are not that great either. Now he may be talking about one close friend who he banked upon and who was a who was a very righteous man, but the fact of the matter is, he comes to understand that even the wisest people are imperfect. And so Solomon is saying that finding a truly godly person in this world is a rarity. Finding a truly godly person in this world is a rarity. Why? Because we are all sinners and we are all imperfect. And people who escape folly are very rare. Thirdly and lastly, Solomon says that man's universal perversion is man's devising, not God's. Look at verse 29. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. So on the basis of this search to figure out sin and sinners, Solomon comes to a conclusion. The one thing he could say was this, God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. This takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden, because the the Hebrew word used here is Adam or Adam, uh, and I believe that Solomon wants us to think about Adam here. And in that garden... When we go back to the Garden of Eden, we are told that God made man and woman, and the creation was very good. They didn't have any sin natures in them. But they chose to believe the lie of Satan and to take comfort in the foolishness uh, that Satan perpetrates instead of taking comfort in God. They chose sin, and they recognized the difference between good and evil, and thus began the struggle for man between morality and immorality. And now we have to face the grim reality because of that, that everybody is a sinner and everybody is born with a sinful nature. We may not know all reasons or all the reasons why we do what we do. And that's sad because that means that the blame doesn't go to others. The blame comes to me and myself. The blame lands on me. And the two roads, the two choices, morality and immorality, both leave us empty and distant from God. That's because, listen here please, Our greatest problem is not around us. The greatest problem is within us. It is our sinful heart. The heart may have a facade of niceness, but on the inside, it's debauched. It's wretched, and it doesn't get any better. We cannot fix ourselves. So there's a lot of wisdom that Solomon has talked about in this particular passage. But what's the point of the whole passage? The whole passage basically says, depend upon God's wisdom, which is based on recognizing that God is a source of our strength. Depend upon God's wisdom, which is based on recognizing that God is a source of your strength. But we cannot have Christ's wisdom if we don't know Christ personally, can we? We cannot. So let me share an illustration with you to drive home the point, and I'll bring my sermon to a close. Imagine there was a guy by the, by the name of Satish. I just made up with some Indian names and, uh, and tried to come up with my own illustration. So just uh, bear with me, please, and listen to this very carefully as I bring this to, an, uh, to a close. So Satish is a very intelligent guy. He's a college graduate. He's, he's also gone to IAM, and uh, he's successfully come out. And because he is, 
He has been studying very hard to make a good career and get a good job. He's never gone to any kind of parties or any kind of a bad habits while he was in college and even in his postgraduate studies. He used to come to church every week. He used to even take the fifth grade Sunday school. Uh, he would be a nice guy around people and he's, a very, he's known as a very good guy. And then he got a good job and he was being paid lakhs a month. And all of a sudden, what happens next? He gets a proposal. And so he goes with his parents to see the girl, and they were given some time alone to talk to each other. And the girl's name was Smitha, and he says this. There's no Smitha in this church, so I picked that name. I picked names that are not in this church, and it's, it's very hard to come up with a name that is not among the 220 names here. So he says this. Smitha, I promise I'll be a husband who never ignores you who always makes you feel loved and accepted and provides you with infinite happiness and security. I promise to pour myself out for you no matter what. My only focus in life will be you. Will you marry me? Now hold this thought and come to another guy whose name is Suresh. This guy, Suresh, unlike Satish, doesn't have a college degree. He hasn't even graduated from high school. He's got into all kinds of notorious things. Drunkenness even adultery, and he was, he was put in jail for several times because of several notorious things that he had done. And nobody in his neighborhood wanted to give their girl to him. And when he got his propo- this proposal, he was even surprised that he got a proposal. And excited about this, he goes with his parents to see the girl and meet the girl. And as he was given, they were both were given time to talk to each other alone, the girl smells in his breath some alcohol. He was drunk. And uh, he didn't even know what he was doing. He pulls out a cigarette and he lights a cigarette as he begins to talk to her. The girl is disturbed. The girl is, uh, she, she doesn't know what is happening here. And so just about when she was uh, going to walk out of there, he calls her, let's say her name is Radha, and he says the same words. Radha, I promise you, I'll be a husband who never ignores you, who always makes you feel loved and accepted and provides you with infinite happiness and security. I promise to pour myself out to you no matter what. My only focus in life will be you. Will you marry me? Now let me ask you a question. And can you answer this honestly, as I do honestly as well? Which one of these guys is bound to break his promise? Now all of us are thinking that it's the second guy who would break the promise. But the fact of the matter is, I would say both of them would break the promise. You know why? Because one guy was lost in his niceness, while the other guy was lost in his sin. But both of them were lost. That's exactly the same thing that happens in our relation with God as well. You and I could be nice people, doing all the right things, never getting into anything wrong. And yet, we could be lost in our niceness. We may not be overt sinners. We've never gone into drunkenness. We don't even know the brands of cigarettes. And yet, we can be lost in our niceness. And here is something that is very, very important. And I want you to understand this, please, as we bring this to a close. Too often, we communicate to lost individuals the heretical message that God desires from them and demands from them a better life or a nicer life or to be more moral or get their life straight 
It's a lie. It's a false gospel. You know, two theologians in the book of Galatians had a, had a kind of a tussle, theological tussle. When two theologians fight, there is no conclusion to it. But when these two theologians fought, there was a conclusion to it. And I'm glad about it. I love that passage. This is Paul rebuking Peter. And Paul says, you and I both are Jews. And we understand that we have the law. And based on the law, nobody can be saved. And that's why you, Peter, and I, Paul, have come to know the Lord through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because by the keeping of the law, no flesh can be justified. That's what Pete Paul says, Galatians 2.16. And I think you and I sin against Christ. You and I sin against the cross if we misrepresent the gospel by suggesting to sinners that what God demands of them is moral improvement, being good, or doing better. You and I can never be good enough. That's moralism. That's not the gospel. But the gospel is this. That you and I are sinners. You and I know that we cannot be good enough to ever commend ourselves to God. And therefore, we repent of our sin with our broken hearts and come to God as the only source or recourse for our salvation. And we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin, taking away the wrath of God in his own body, the wrath that was supposed to come upon you and upon me, and exhausting the wrath of God to its very last drop. So this morning, if you and I repent of our sin and come to him and say, Lord, have mercy on me, he will give you the gift of eternal life. He will forgive you of your sin. And he will adopt you into the family of God. And you and I can be called the children of the Most High God. What an honor it is. What a privilege it is. I don't like to say this, but the fact is, hell will be populated by people in some Christian families who were raised right, but who never knew the gospel. Because that's not what the gospel is. By grace, you've been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. It is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. My friend, have you been living under the sun in the same way that Solomon has been trying to find wisdom and satisfaction and meaning of life under the sun? Trying to do better, trying to improve, trying to impress God will never work because we can never be too good. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross for us. And only then, when we invite him into our hearts and and he is our Lord and our Savior. It is only then can we get a chart and compass to navigate through this debauched world or a world that is full of depravity. Until then, we will, like Solomon, find everything meaningless under the sun. Thank you for your patience, and may the Lord bless you all as you contemplate on this. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for speaking to us through the writings of Solomon. You have blessed him with immense wisdom. There's no man who's greater in wisdom than he. And yet, O oh Lord, in all of his wisdom, in all of his searchings under the sun, apart from you, he said you cannot find meaning in anything. It's vanity. It's a chasing after the wind. It's meaningless. 
And which is such a wise man is telling us this. It would be foolish of us not to listen to him. Pray for each one of us seated here, O Lord, that if there is anybody here seated who's trying to find meaning in life apart from you, apart from the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, O Lord, that this morning we would recognize that you are our salvation. In you is our salvation. And that moralism is not the gospel. But the gospel is that Christ came and died for me a sinner because I could never commend myself to God. And help us by your spirit to repent of whatever sin that is we are struggling with and come to know you. And if there are believers who are struggling with certain things, who are unable to still find meaning in you and are running after worldly things, Lord, we pray that they would understand that it is only in Christ that we find the fullness of meaning in this life. Because if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. And that includes the penalty of sin and everything in this world as well. Thank you for the abundant life you've come to give us. Thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name.